I'm Taryn Ward. And I'm Stephen Jones. And this is Breaking the Feed, social media beyond the headlines. We're taking a closer look at the core issues around social media, including the existing social media landscape, to better understand the role that social media plays in our everyday lives and society. Last time we began our look at new social media offerings with a discussion of TikTok. Today, we'll continue with a closer look at super apps. We'll define super apps as a concept and talk through some existing examples that are already popular in Asia, Africa, and Central America. Our main question for this episode is whether super apps are the future of social media and what that might mean for how we connect online. Sometimes super apps are compared fairly, I think, to Swiss army knives. They're the Swiss army knife of apps. Combines multiple services in one platform. Social networking is an example, but often it's social networking, e-commerce, banking, messaging, food delivery, transportation. Um, And the idea is that users can add and remove features as it suits them. And basically, these features function as mini apps. Steve, tell me, how many social apps do you have on your phone right now? Well, I would guess between 10 and 15, which is more than the global average, which is about eight to nine, I think, but varies between countries. But then we are building a social network and we make this podcast. But if I actually count, then it turns out that actually I have 30 social network apps, three social exercise apps, and a few commercial apps that are largely crowdsourced or essentially social apps that sort of sell things. Um, And that, frankly, was a bit of a surprise, even though, as I said just a second ago, we are building a social network and we make this podcast and therefore I should expect to have more social networks. It's a lot, right? Yeah. And the same is true. You know, I've spoken to quite a few people about this since we started talking about doing an episode on this. And it's interesting because everybody thinks they have fewer than they actually do. But when you start to add up Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, And then also things like LinkedIn, YouTube, WhatsApp, Signal, Confide, Telegram, Facebook Messenger, Pinterest, Discord, and maybe even some of the new options, Be Real, Retro, Threads, Post, Co-Host, or apps that have a social component but aren't primarily social, it really starts to add up. And if I think about shopping apps and banking apps and food delivery apps and all these things, it really starts to add up. And it can be a lot looking at, you know, looking at your phone and having to navigate in and out of these different apps. And so one way that I think about super apps is to compare them to shopping in person. So, you know, if I want to go out and buy food, I could go to several different specialty stores, a a bakery, a butcher, fishmonger, or go to a single large grocery store where you can buy, you know, various food items and related products all in one place or retail where you know you could go to an individual shop that sells one thing, hats or shoes or whatever it is, or you can go to a large department store that has you know a little bit of everything. They maybe don't have the variety, you maybe don't have the same level of customer service, but I would say that one way to think about this is you know Swiss Army knife is fine, but also super apps are sort of like the large department stores of the social media world. Yeah, that's really interesting, right? I mean, and I remember as a kid, you know, going shopping with my mum in uh, in the city centre, my mum and my sister, to be fair, and going to the large department stores of the time, which were like um, Debenhams or Dingles, which were the house of phrase or whatever, right? Uh, different stores in different towns in England. 
I didn't, you know, as an adult, particularly in Canada, going to shopping malls, these vast, sprawling networks of, of different stores. And, and even there, there would be, you know, at each corner or tr- points of a triangle in the shopping mall, there would be one major department store in Canada. It's very often the Hudson's Bay Company and, and used to be Sears and possibly one or other large American company. And I assume that was your experience too, growing up and since moving here. Yes, very much. And there's a lot to recommend that way of shopping. There's, you know, a lot of different choices and there are places to hang out. And I spent a lot of time in my younger years at, at shopping malls, whether because I wanted to be there or because I had to be there. But, you know, if we think about some of the advantages and disadvantages to shopping that way, I think the same ideas apply to super apps. And I think sometimes we sort of dive into things and then think about the consequences later. And I imagine that my parents and grandparents would have a lot to say about how department stores and that kind of shopping changed their experience for better and for worse. But you know, I think it's undeniable that there are efficiency advantages, right? So you can go to one place and get everything. But likewise, the challenges are there too. So you know, how often do we go and end up buying things we don't need? or having a lower quality experience overall. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a standard line in interaction which happens whenever I go to Costco, which is the cashier, because she has to, says, did you find everything you need? And I routinely say, yes, and quite a few things that I didn't want when I came in. And that is, of course, a large part of the of the business model. Uh, and the other problem, particularly with, uh, with shopping malls, but I think also department stores, is you wherever you are in the country, you'll walk in and find exactly the same things, exactly the same stores carrying exactly the same brands. And so everything becomes the same. I mean, it's very efficient. You're right. You go to one place, you park once and you just shop, but you don't find anything. You don't find many things, which are interesting and delightful in those big places. I think, I I mean, that's my feeling anyway. What do you think? I think that's true. I think, I think that's true. And I think, the same dangers in, in different forms come with super apps. So I think this idea that maybe you'll end up buying things you didn't really want or need because of the way the ads are placed, which can happen on any social media network. But if we're spending more time on this because it fulfills multiple functions, there's a risk that we'll end up you know, buying more stuff we don't need. But there's also a risk that we'll end up spending more time than we really intended to spend on these apps. And we've seen, you know, particularly in young people, that this has been a, a really big problem. And and we know that these are these are potential problems because although super apps for most people listening to this are sort of a new concept, in Asia, Africa, and Central America, they're popular already. So we can look at, you know, some of these mm-hmm. some of these issues and how they've played out. WeChat is a great example. So there are over a billion active monthly users. The number is something like 1.25, but that's changing all the time. And you know, WeChat, just a little bit of information if you're not familiar, it launched in 2011 by Tencent. And it, it has lots of different functionalities, but, but basically users can text, access city services, pay utilities, send peer-to-peer payments, stream videos, you know, all these things. And you can see why even without having it in your hands, it would mean that you spend a lot of time on it. Of course, that's part of the the point, isn't it? That it becomes the gateway to the world that they want you to spend lots of time on it because that way they're making a little bit of money from all those transactions, whether you're looking at adverts or whether you're paying a bill, you know, 
none of those things one has to imagine happens entirely for free. So yeah, it's, it's a great it's a great business model, but for people, and we already spend let's face it too much time online. We talked about TikTok and young people spending twenty four hours a month as an average. This would be a lot, wouldn't it? Yes, and and it already is. But but one question I think worth asking, you know, not to not to torture the shopping mall metaphor, but given how much we love shopping malls in the West, why why haven't super apps taken off in North America and Europe? And I think, you know, one theory that that I think makes some sense is that users in Europe and the United States had early experiences online that were web-based. So we've talked about AOL Instant Messenger and Gchat and early Facebook and all these things. And, you know, we we became really locked into these services. So companies resisted changing to super apps because it could harm user engagement and you could risk people falling off and, and finding something better. While, you know, in, in some of these other places where we've seen super apps be really successful, these were users' first experiences online. And, and those first experiences were largely via smartphone anyway. So it was a much easier and smoother transition. Yeah, and, and that that makes complete sense. Uh, and it works better for the super app because, of course, you have the phone in your hand or in your pocket or in your purse all the time. I mean, I don't think many of us are more than two feet away from our app, at, at our phone at any point during the day, right? So that wasn't true for the for the computer or the laptop you were frequently away from it thank god but i, I think you, the other point that you made which is that it was a, it would be a big change for those apps it's really important we've done a lot of market research talking about social media apps with people twitter facebook instagram and they their biggest complaints are the things which those companies changed most often so they could make more money Keep your eyes on the screen, bore for adverts, right? The, the the loss of chronology, the loss of seeing your friends, you know, this the for you targeted stuff, which really is to keep your eyes on the screen and let them show you more ads. That's those are the things which people most often complain about. And and then, you know, in the back of their minds, they worry about privacy and security. And oh my God, they should. But it's that experience that they bemoan most of the time. Meta is not a, a non-commercial, not-for-profit company. If it if it thought that it could make more money like this easily, you'd have to assume they would have made the jump at some point, wouldn't you? I would think so, yeah. And and we are creatures of habit. I mean, I think we don't always like to think of ourselves that way or as creatures in general, but, but we like things to be a certain way and we're resistant to change. I had a really interesting chat with a founder at Web Summit last year. Really, really interesting woman. I hope, I, I, you know, I hope she... I haven't checked, but I hope I hope things are going well for her. So she was educated and in, in raised in China, but she lives in Europe now. And she was working to launch her own shopping-based super app in, in the West. So it would be a lot of Chinese products, but, but sort of Western-facing. And she was expressing some of her frustration at the lack of understanding Westerners broadly have about super apps. And our lack of sophistication more generally in terms of payment systems. You know, she was really amused at how obsessed we are with our credit and debit cards, because to her, that's all really old fashioned and silly. And she found it equally fascinating that we're all stuck using separate apps for everything and how inconvenient and, and strange that is. I think this is really interesting, isn't it? I mean, like, she's not she's not wrong, but her perspective is different. So she probably never grew up 
doing all these things by hand, you know, walking from the bank to the shop to the post office to wherever, like these this, these sort of like shopping routines that people had. I remember my, my gran and my mum going shopping and doing all these errands, or, you know, sequentially. So for us, actually, doing these things by our phone, being able to make payments, being able to deposit checks is, is you know, it's awesome. That's actually extremely convenient. You know, be able to take a picture of the front and back of a check and submit it to the bank, and suddenly the money appears in your account, and you can pay your bills all without leaving your bath. Well, maybe not bath if you're depositing checks; they might get soggy. It wouldn't be good. But there is the other issue that I think we are perhaps a little bit more critical um, as well in the West and somewhat less trusting of authority. Let's put it that way, or at least much more willing to be public about our critique of authority and power. And we've also had, over the last 200 years or so, a number of run-ins with, you know, monopolies of one kind or another, which makes us, I think, both at the government level and the individual level, a bit more suspicious of um, companies that are trying to build a monopoly. Don't you think? I think so. And I think in some ways we have good reason to be because regulation just works differently. So, you know, our government, all these issues that we've seen play out on social media, our governments have demonstrated pretty clearly their inability or unwillingness to to rein these things in. And so the idea, which we'll talk more about, you know, the trust issues later, but I think this idea that we're going to let one company monopolize our time and attention like this is is really worrying. Before we do that, it might be worth saying just a little bit more about how super apps are used because we're sort of talking, you know, we're talking about all these potential problems and benefits, but most of us haven't used them. So, I, you know, I said before, they usually incorporate some combination of communication, media, finance, transportation, retail, lifestyle into a single app. They don't all do all of these things, and and some do some things really well and some things not so well. So Alipay is is a good example and pretty well known. Mobile payments, financial services, food delivery, ticket booking, ride sharing, these are all things you can do in a single app. You don't have to use the app to do all of them, but there's an option there for you to do it. AirAsia is, you know, it's an airline app, um, but you can book hotels and food delivery and you know that's sort of an interesting thing because you can see how all these things are related. And again, you don't have to use all of the features in this super app, but it's it's that option. There are some others worth mentioning. So there's one that started sort of like eBay, so consumer to consumer shopping, and now it's business to consumer, consumer to business, um, with its own online payment systems. And you know there are several others that have a messaging, payment, something else. So they can function. My point really is that they can function in a lot of different ways and serve a lot of different needs. There's not one formula that says this is what a super app has to be. It really is just that it ticks multiple boxes across different areas of service. That's convenient. But also, somebody knows an awful lot about what I'm trying to do. You know, so... At the moment, a lot of information is available about me, but a lot of it is disseminated across a bunch of sources, right? And I'm one of those people who regularly deletes tracking cookies and refuses to let people track my activity on my phone and so on and so forth. So, you know, one of these apps knows an awful lot about you, how much money you have, or it can infer that, how, where you, what you're eating, where you go, what time of day you like to eat. Gosh, I mean, it's an endless list of things they can use to characterize you and further manipulate you to spend more money, right? 
Mm. And if you have, if you're listening to this and you have heard about super apps before, you probably have Elon Musk to thank. So most of the media coverage about super apps over the past few years has been in his direction because he's expressed for quite a while now an interest in turning Twitter, now X, into a super app. In his mind, at least publicly, this super app has always been called X. And he's already made that first change, sort of. I mean, the rebrand was a bit of a mess, as we've talked about. But, you know, that that first step to rename it. And he's expressed a lot of interest in this. The question remains, with so many people leaving Twitter, would anyone want to use a super app that started as Twitter? From my perspective, hell no. Definitely, <laughs> definitely not. Twitter was, I mean, we talked about Twitter previously. And, and you know, I'm very firmly of the belief that it was good because it was good at one thing, which was immediate sharing of very pointed pieces of information. And some of those pieces of information, like I just had a bagel, um, were not terribly insightful. But much of it was extremely important and, and it contributed to the, the global conversation. It was good at that. And, you know, I think the characters, as we discussed with characters changed, and I think that that was to the detriment of the platform. But, but why would you think that from a chat platform, you should build out this, this massive network? And I mean, the, the answer, of course, is I will know more about you and I will make a lot more money because I will control, you know, a vast proportion of commerce and banking activity in the West. Um, but that's, I can see the advantage for you, but I'm not sure that other than, you know, maybe missing a flick and a tap, uh, that amount of inconvenience for me doesn't seem to be terribly bad. And I, frankly, even in 2021, I trust my bank and my banking app with my money more than I would trust Elon Musk and his, you know, non-public board of directors. And that's important to remember, right? This is not a publicly traded company, and therefore they're under slightly different obligations for reporting. Um, although not, necessarily behavior, but there's a lot less transparency. And I think that worries me quite a lot. Yeah, I think that's that's certainly fair. And and it may not be Twitter that gets there first. I, I think certainly, you know, Amazon, Uber, these companies are also well placed. Um, they're doing enough different things. They've sort of experimented with, you know, going various different directions. All that remains is really building one super app structure that that holds it all together. Um, but you know, some of our same concerns apply to these companies too. Um, their leadership is less colorful, certainly. Um, but but some of those concerns carry over. <laughs> Nevertheless, some experts predict that by 2027, more than half of the world's population will be daily users of super apps, which is huge. Um, you know, we are nearing 2024. Um, we get closer every day. And, you know, right now we're nowhere near that. So, you know, there would need to be some changes in terms of how many of us feel about super apps. That said, a 2022 consumer survey found that 72% of Americans would be interested in trying a super app. Steve, I think we've sort of covered your thoughts on this, um, despite the, you know, 30 odd apps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, and fair enough. I think it is worth talking through some of the benefits. 
definitely don't want to be one-sided and there are real benefits. So one one argument in favor of super apps is that customer satisfaction would actually improve because it would be so convenient and you can avoid app overload rather than having 50 apps on your phone that do different things. You could maybe have three or four um, and have everything stored there and be able to just click back and forth between those apps. Data sharing would allow more targeted preferences. Um, We've already discussed that this is more of a benefit to the app than it is for you, but there are people who love their super targeted advertising and they are willing to to sacrifice their privacy and, and other things. And we can feel however we feel about this and worry that they don't fully understand the risks um, but but they genuinely really, really appreciate this. Um, finally, the user base. So this is another really benefit for the platform, but you know, it's the potential to have a lot more users because you're you're sort of across different different areas of service. I still think there are four major challenges that that we also need to address and consider. I think first is the market dynamic. There has to be a need or at least a want for this offering. Um, You know, the survey of 72% of Americans indicates that there is some of that, but I would be interested to see whether that number has gone down in the last year or not. The second concern is about the difficulty in maintaining a consistent level of quality across these different offerings. So in order for somebody to want to use your super app for multiple things, you know, there has to be a, a benefit to that it has to be better than um, you know the individual apps that do the same thing, or the convenience has to outweigh it. But it it really has to be one or the other. There are some regulatory concerns. You know, we talked about data sharing, GDPR, but we also have some antitrust concerns here. So the United States Federal Trade Commission or the FTC is a force to be reckoned with. And I mean that in the best possible way, like more more power to them, all the credit in the world. And that's a that's a significant barrier. And in one that WeChat didn't face. So regulation was on the side of super apps like WeChat. And in fact, it shielded the app from international competition in many ways. Super apps in other jurisdictions are likely to have a very different experience. Um, so it you know, we'll we'll see how that plays out. The final challenge, though, I think is the one that we're the farthest from from being able to clear, and that's the trust issue. In order for people to want to use a super app, they have to have some basic level of trust, and we just don't seem to have that. No, I mean, you know, obviously, I've given the impression, I hope, over the last 20 minutes that I'm somewhat skeptical of their ability or willingness or even interest into protecting my data and my my general well-being and i think that's the difference you know i think my relationship with my bank through my banking app i know that they have a commercial and you know public relations interest in protecting my data and their relationship with me because when it goes wrong it can go terribly terribly long and generally they're pretty good at it we know from recent public experience that the large social media networks have been quite lax and in some cases possibly negligent with our data. Certainly some of the regulators think so. Um, and that, if, if they have that amount of data on you, then that's also a problem. I, I also think 
the knock-on effect of some of these apps has been quite bad. You know, Uber is extraordinarily convenient, but there's a lot of controversy about the way that it treats its drivers and ZRR's contracts in the UK, which are often used to drive the cost effectiveness of some of the conveniences that we benefit from here, are controversial as well. Right? They're not necessarily good for the, the people who who work under them. So I think there's a, a rising consciousness in in the West, particularly that that you know that there is a broader picture that needs to be considered, and and, I, and at least I hope that's the case. I mean, I'm far from a conspiracy theorist, but I don't really trust these apps, and they have not done anything that will change my mind, uh, you know, over the last ten years. So it'll be interesting, and and I guess that does sort of open the door for somebody else to come in. It does. I mean, I I agree with all of that, but I still think that rather than watching for a challenger coming out of the blue, our best bet is to watch for an existing big tech operator to to try this first. Um, we talked about Amazon and Uber, Spotify. I think Spotify could be well-placed. You know, they're already doing music and podcasts and audiobooks and video. People really like Spotify and they don't have some of the obvious trust issues. Snapchat, which to be clear, nobody should trust to do anything. They already do movie bookings, games, flashcards. They have a meditation tool, um, you know, and they are ambitious. They have demonstrated that again and again. And then, of course, there's Meta. You can never count Meta out fully, even as we've talked about how Meta is really on the on the decline in many ways. They have Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp. They've been experimenting with some banking features in some places, and you know, this is worrying for the same reason Snapchat is worrying, really. Yeah, I think that's true. And and Facebook, of course, is already in the marketplace because it has marketplace. People sell things. You just put ads up. And I know, you know, some people quite close to me when I'm at home are really addicted to spying and selling things on marketplace because it is so convenient. You take a picture and you put it up. So, yeah, I think you you can't ever. And and let's be honest, this was a major driver for Mark Zuckerberg's interest in the metaverse and getting people online all the time, because he would be in complete control of all the digital things you see during the entirety of your day. And the whole thing becomes a marketplace and an opportunity to go banking. You see the bank as you walk along your virtual high street, you just go in and do your transaction. It's, you know, I'm not sorry that that hasn't worked out quite that the way he wanted. But I do agree that, that Amazon is already such a major corporation, right? They're in everything. People trust them already to buy things, despite some of the negative press and, you know, a push to buy locally. It's extraordinarily effective. Amazon packages arrive at my house and your house on a regular basis. That that gives them a, a really good position. But you do have to wonder, you know, now with the FTC sort of case against Amazon, you know, whether governments, of particularly the US and EU, are going to really look much more carefully at the business practices of these big companies and actually try to, you know, rein them in. If they do, then maybe this would slow progress down. But they have, let's face it, all the money in the world to pursue these things if they want to. And with experts predicting both that super apps are inevitable and that the first $10 trillion tech company will be a super app, I think the concept is here to stay and we're likely to see more of this in the West. I do think, though, you know, the conventional wisdom is something like consumers in the West, at least, will always choose convenience 
over privacy, over security, over their own mental health, over the mental health of their children. But if that were true, I would think that maybe we would already have seen a $10 trillion super app in the West. Maybe that's naive and hopeful and unreasonably optimistic, but trust matters and Western social media companies don't have it. So I think Amazon, Spotify, you know, a company like that is probably better placed, as you said, and might be slightly less worrying. Next time, we'll look at copycat socials and focus specifically on what are sometimes called the new Twitters or new social media networks designed to replace or be a meaningful alternative to Twitter. In the meantime, we'll post a transcript of this episode with references on our website. You can find this and more about us at thebrightapp.com. Until next time, I'm Stephen Jones. And I'm Taryn Ward. Thank you for joining us for Breaking the Feed, social media beyond the headlines. Mm -hmm.